Well, I would invite you to turn to Philippians chapter number 3. This morning, we're going to continue our series uh, through the book of Philippians. Um, And our series is called Rejoice in the Lord. Last Sunday, uh, we looked at verse number 1 of Philippians chapter 3, and we talked about developing the habit of rejoicing. And I don't know about you, but the Lord did bring some things into my life that made me practice what I preached once again. And I hope that the Lord did that for you as well, and that you responded out of, uh, with rejoicing in the Lord. And uh, I hope that that was the case. Well, today we're going to look at uh, verses 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter number 3. And so, uh, if you're there, would you, if you're able to, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 2. Well, let's just read verse 1 again. Why not? Uh, Philippians 3, 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which which worship God. God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it in our lives this morning. Help us to understand the truth behind it. Help us to heed it. And uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we come to Philippians chapter number 3 here, and uh, Paul has covered quite a bit of ground up to this point. Um, So far, though, it's been pretty positive, though, right? Hasn't it? In chapter 1, if you recall, we saw Paul who expressed his love and his warm affection uh, for the church family there at Philippi. Later after that, he he began to explain uh, his prayer request and, and how he prayed for the church family. Uh, He then talked about how he was rejoicing in the sovereignty of God as the gospel went forth in spite of his circumstances. Uh, It was less than ideal. He was in prison, and yet he realized because of that, some good things were happening, and the gospel was going forth, and he was rejoicing in all of that. Later in chapter 1, he encouraged this church family to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Well, then in chapter 2, though, he encouraged unity and and, uh, that these brothers and sisters would have a like mind, a lowly mind, a loving mind, and then, if you recall, also to have the Lord's mind. He then went on to explain what the mind of the Lord is, a mind of service, a mind of submission, and a mind of sacrifice. And then he pointed to three living examples of people who had the mind of the Lord to indicate to us that it is indeed possible to have the mind of Christ. Paul himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Well, then now we come to chapter 3, and he encourages us to rejoice in the Lord, and he says, this is what I've been trying to get to all this time, and finally I'm going to tell you that. Well, so far so good. Everything's kind of on a positive note. But here in verse number 2, this letter takes quite a turn. And all of a sudden, Paul uses some harsh language. He says in verse number 2, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. This passage is acting much like a beware of the dog sign you might see out and about. 
or family has wanted a dog for many years and has tried and tried to convince me to let them have a dog. And for many years, I have been Mr. Meanie Man and not given in. Well, some of you know that a couple months ago, I finally caved. And now we have an almost six-month-old golden labradoodle puppy named Abby. And I'll show a picture of her there on the screen. Now, she's only six months, and she's a little puppy. And so as a result, we've not put up a beware of the dog sign. Because if we did, the only thing a bad guy would have to worry about is being licked to death or having to play with this dog until he dies from exhaustion. Abby is not exactly a watchdog yet, and uh, I don't know that she ever will be. We don't ever really want her to bark too much. Um, but anyway, beware of the dog. In Paul's day, there was a need, though, for his stern warning. And this morning, we're going to look at this uh, warning that he gives this church family. And uh, so first of all, this this morning, I want you to notice, number one here, there is a cause for caution. There is a cause for caution. In the Christian life, there is. beware. The word beware is mentioned 28 times in Scripture, and the word beware is mentioned three times in this verse alone. That's not the only time Paul issued a warning. To the believers at Colossae, he warned, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Uh, Paul uh, also took time to warn Titus about false teachers in his letter to this pastor. He issued warnings to Timothy. And the bulk of the book of Galatians is a warning to believers in the churches in that area. Peter also issued warnings. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1 Peter says, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Jude also took time to bring warning to his readers. In verse 4, he says, there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And if those men were not enough, Jesus also gave some warnings as well, didn't he? Matthew chapter 23 is a warning to the Pharisees, to the scribes, and as he calls them, to the hypocrites. Well, why do we need this caution in the Christian life? I mean, why can't we just be all... Plastic smiles, like Mr. Joel Osteen would do. Uh, why do we need a little bit of caution from time to time in our Christian lives? Well, I would say, first of all, because there is a devil. There is a devil. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I hate to break it to you, friend, but the devil is real. You have an enemy, and so do I. And he hates every single one of us. And he desires to destroy us. He desires to sift us all as wheat and to make us completely useless for the glory of God. 
Christian, I want to encourage all of us to not be naive. To not think that the Christian life is just a big, fun, exciting, wonderful, filled with all blessings. Yes, there are tremendous blessings about being a Christian, but the moment that you uh, become a Christian, the moment you believe on Jesus Christ, uh, a certain a target gets placed on your back and the devil is after us to destroy our effectiveness for God. Uh, we must be sober. We must be vigilant. The devil is after us and, and, uh, and it's something we need to be aware of. And, and so there is cause for caution because there is a devil. Thomas Brooks said of the devil, he said, Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor and, and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. And he promises life and pays with death. Why do we need to receive caution in the Christian life? Well, because there is a devil. He is after you. He's after you this very moment. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he's after you to not become a Christian. He doesn't want you to join ranks with Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to uh, become a, one of those born-again believers. No, he wants you to be a follower of him. You know, Jesus said that uh, really you, only, you have two choices on who your father is. Uh, you can be of your father the devil, or you could be of the father of the Lord, the heavenly father. There's two choices. Now, I know which father is much better and much more loving and much more gracious, and that's our Heavenly Father. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to come to Christ. Don't let the devil win in keeping you from coming to the Lord Jesus. If you've been hearing about this and procrastinating and saying, oh, I'll put this off till a more convenient time, look, no one is guaranteed another day. Make that decision soon. Make that decision uh, right now. See, in the Bible, there's an urgency about the decision to come to Christ because none of us are guaranteed another breath. So why all this caution, Paul? Why these harsh words, Paul? Well, because there is a devil. And also, not only is there a devil, there are also deceivers. There are deceivers. Unfortunately, there are those out there who desire to deceive believers and draw them away from the truth. And like pawns in the hand of, a, of the devil, they, they are used to infiltrate churches and infiltrate the lives of Christians and to try to turn them away from the truth. There are deceivers. I mentioned the warning that Paul gave to Titus, and here's what that warning said. He told Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And then he said, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, who mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Look, there are deceivers that are in this world today who even would call themselves Christians, but are indeed wolves in sheep's clothing. Three times in the New Testament, we are given the simple instruction to be not deceived. How does this happen? 
How do we present, prevent ourselves from falling into this type of spiritual deception? Well, my friend, we better get so familiar with the truth that anything that gets said, that gets said contrary to that truth is known to be false. I remember when I was working at uh, AT&T there in Montana, and as we would receive, uh, some people would come in and pay their phone bills with cash. And that always was kind of a bummer. We would rather them pay with, um, pay with a card because we were able to kind of do it super quick and get on to the next customer and hopefully actually make some sales because we didn't get any credit, any commission for people coming in to do a, a, a bill pay. And, uh, and yet some people would say, oh, we've got some cash. And we're like, oh, boy, we're going to have to open the register. And, and, uh, so, and some people would, would, would give us $50 bills and $100 bills. And every one of those, we had to take a special marker, right, and mark those bills uh, to make sure that they were legit. Uh, we didn't, I was kind of found it funny that we didn't have to do that with the 20s or the 5s or the 10s. Because uh, if, if I were a counterfeiter, I probably wouldn't be going, here's a $100 bill, knowing what retailers have to do. I would probably, and this is, this is not in my notes, so um, I would probably, <laughs> I'm teaching you how to counterfeit here. Um, I should probably get right back to the notes. But you use these special marker pens, right, to make sure that these are legitimate bills, Look, God doesn't want his children to be gullible. But unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians are. That they'll see a, a post on social media. And it from a supposed religious leader. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll think that it sounds good. And they'll kind of dive into it and get drawn in. Friend, I want us to not, as here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, let's decide that we're not going to be gullible Christians. That we're going to put the guard up and make sure that we're checking everything. We're using not that special marker, but we're using this to check everything that gets said and everything that we're allowing in our hearts and lives. This is our marker that we're using. He wants us to be like the Bereans of old who receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You see, these Bereans, they checked what they were hearing with the word of God, with the scriptures. Look, this right here is our final authority. This is why we need to be students of the word of God. In order so that we don't fall into deception. Paul told Timothy, he said, look, the time is going to come. When they're not going to endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, they're going to heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sad to report to you that we are living in that day right now. The time has come. Uh, people are not wanting to listen to sound doctrine. They're wanting to get the feel-good message on my felt needs. And look, the Bible does meet our needs, but many times we just need to know the truth. And that will help us with the needs that we face. And so I want to encourage us uh, to not fall into deception. And the way we do that is by being students of the Word of God, being experts in the Bible. Look, it's not just for those going in the ministry. This is for every Christian. 
Every, God wants every Christian to have a good knowledge of his word. Look, in other words, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. And there is a great cause for caution because there is a devil. And unfortunately, there are deceivers. There are those who would creep into a church and perhaps even try to take some away. So we see here the cause for caution. But notice, secondly, here there is a concern for the church that Paul had. In verse number 2, not only did he say beware, but the reason he said beware is because he was trying to warn them of some that would come into the church, that, would, uh, that were already in that church trying to pull people away, trying to uh, give false doctrine. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Okay, Paul. You know, that's, that's really not very nice to call these guys' names. That's kind of mean. You know, that's not very Christian. Calling them dogs, calling them evil workers, calling them the concision, which, by the way, was kind of a slang term. You know, calling names, really, Paul, that's not very kind. That's not very Christ-like. Okay, well, uh, actually... Jesus, Christ, <laughs> here's what he had to say to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? All right, well, Jesus called people names. I guess it's okay. Now, kids, that's not an excuse for you to call your brother and sister names. But Paul said, look, this is serious business. Because what happened was these guys were tampering with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it's no more Mr. Nice Guy. This is serious business, and there's no time for niceties. Let's call them for who they are. They're dogs. They're evil workers. They're the concision. Well, let's go and talk about these guys here for a few moments. First of all, these dogs, they were unclean wolves. Unclean wolves. Now, dogs in the Bible were not like we look at dogs today, where these nice, cute, adorable little puppies that uh, you have as pets. In Bible days, dogs were, uh, were unclean animals. And as I look at Abby, our little puppy, she is an unclean animal many times. Telling these guys, man, this dog stinks. You need to give her a bath. Dogs don't normally have good hygiene. And they're unclean. And what they usually did was they ran in packs and they would, uh, they would go and be scavengers. And so... He's talking about these false teachers here who were going into church and being like dogs and running in packs together and, and scavenging churches and trying to get believers to follow their different uh, theology. Here's what Paul warned uh, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter number 20. In verse 29 it says, For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking 
perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So Paul's warning the pastors there, and he said, look, uh, there's, going to come, uh, there's going to come people into your assemblies that are going to try to uh, pervert the gospel and, and to draw away disciples after them, and uh, it's going to happen. You need to be prepared for that. And uh, I want to just encourage or just to inform you all, as the Lord has called me to be the under-shepherd here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, I'm, I'm not the great shepherd, that is the Lord Jesus himself. But yet God has called me to shepherd and lead this church. And part of my responsibility as the shepherd is to make sure that I'm keeping the wolves out. Uh, this is not my favorite part of the job, but it's a necessary part of the job, and it's a necessary part of honoring and obeying the Lord. I imagine there's going to come, as if I'm here for any length of time, there's going to come times where people come in, meaning well and looking well, but their doctrine is not correct, and I'm going to have to make a stand. If they pervert the gospel of Christ, it's not going to be Mr. Nice Pastor Boy. It's going to be, I'm going to have to deal with it sternly and sharply like Paul did. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this verse, uh, verse number 2, stated the reference here is doubtless to Judaizing teachers. And the idea is that they were contentious, troublesome, dissatisfied, and would produce disturbance. The strong language which the apostle uses here shows the sense in which he had of the danger arising from their influence. So again, it wasn't let's just try to be nice and kind and love them to where they come around eventually. No, no, no. We don't have time for that. They're perverting the gospel. We're going to cast them out. And so there were some unclean wolves in the midst of the church there at Philippi, and he said, beware of these dogs. Secondly, there were evil workers. And verse 2, beware of evil workers. Paul also warned the church at Corinth of these same workers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as, their, as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He said, look, there is going to become time where people are going to come into the church and there are deceitful workers. They're, they're trying to look the right part, but they're taking people down the wrong path. But not only were there uh, evil workers here, but there were also, thirdly, there were false worshipers. In verse number two again, he ends with, beware of the concision. Concision. Now, these were people here who were insisting on, these were these were Jews who had gotten saved, so to speak, but yet they were, they were thinking because they were circumcised that God had a special uh, place of favor for them. And they were, they were pushing that and requiring Gentiles who had trusted Christ to also get circumcised if they wanted to be saved. So they were putting that on these, these Gentiles. And uh, Paul basically calls them the concision, which is another word for <coughs> mutilators. And he's basically calling them, look, all you're trying to do, all you're doing is cutting the flesh. That's all you're doing. 
It's not creating any more favor with God if you do this. You're just a bunch of the concision. So these teachers are those, or were those who were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They claimed that the Gentiles needed the outward sign of circumcision in addition to faith in Christ in order to be saved. Now, a lot of times in Christianity and churches, the word legalism gets thrown around quite a bit. I want to take a quick moment and define what legalism is. Legalism is not uh, having a set of standards and having, a, uh, having some guidelines in your, in your Christian life. That's not legalism. Legalism is adding anything to the gospel, saying that you need to follow these set of standards or these guidelines in order to be saved. That's legalism. And that's exactly what was happening here in the church at Philippi, and that's why Paul was so sharp in his, uh, in his writing to these uh, Christians, making them aware that this, this is what was going on. I'd like to just take a quick moment this morning and be very clear about what the gospel is according to the Bible. What I'm about to tell you is not the gospel according to Eric Johnson. What I'm about to tell you is not the gospel according to even Cornerstone Baptist Church. It's the gospel according to the eternal word of God. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4 say this. And it's Paul. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So he said, Look, I preached unto you the gospel. And then in verses 3 and 4, he tells us what the gospel is. Verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 4 says, And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Friend, the gospel in the nutshell is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, he rose again according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And that is what a person needs to believe in order to be saved. And nothing else, uh, nothing more, nothing less. That is the gospel. If we repent and believe on him, we can have eternal life. We can be saved. And we do this by grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, they, these dogs, these evil workers, these guys who were considered the concision were coming in and saying, yeah, that's the gospel, but you also need to be circumcised. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel, friend. That's a perversion of the gospel. It also happened in the churches of Galatia. Paul said in Galatians chapter number 1 and verse number 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul wasn't mincing words. You say, well, that was pretty strong. Okay, well, that was in verse 8. 
In verse number nine, he basically repeats himself. In case we didn't get it, in case the church didn't quite understand. And sometimes a little, some of us are a little slow, right? We need a, a couple reminders. And so in verse number nine, he says, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Look, tweaking the gospel is a very big deal and needs to be dealt with swiftly and sharply. And that's what Paul was doing here when he said, beware of these dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Solomon instruct, uh, instructed his uh, readers uh, that were exposed to false teaching in Proverbs 19 and verse 27. He said, cease my son to hear the instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. And so, friend, if you're dabbling in doctrine that you know is not right, but you're curious about it, I'm, friend, I am telling you, getting, God wants us to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. We do not have to be experts at all the cults. We do not have to be experts at false teaching. It's okay to be understand a little bit of what people uh, believe, and I get that, but, but we need to be careful not to dive too deep into it. Make sure that we're staying with the truth. Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stop trying to Go back to that garbage. Uh, get in the truth and stay in that truth. So we see here that there was a concern for the church. And, and I share that same concern for Cornerstone Baptist Church that Paul had. I want to encourage you, church family, to beware of the dogs. To beware of the evil workers and to beware of the concision. Of those who would perhaps come in. Oh, maybe not today, but maybe in the future that would try to draw you away through their specific doctrinal teaching. But thirdly, I want us to notice there is a confidence in Christ. In verse number three, we see here Paul saying, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says we are the circumcision, referring to True believers. Look, we're not saved by a ritual that is meaningless, but by a genuine faith in Christ. And the truly circumcised ones were the Christians who had been circumcised of the heart of unbelief. You see, that act of circumcision back in the Old Testament was basically a foreshadowing of the spiritual circumcision of the heart of unbelief that would take place in the life of a believer the moment he trusts Christ as his Savior. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 11 says this, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. We are buried with him in baptized, baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven all or you all trespasses. And I love this last verse here, blotting out 
the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Aren't you thankful that he did that? He nailed it to his cross. So there is a confidence in Christ for those who are indeed in Christ. We see here, first of all, a a true faith. A true faith in verse number three again. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. This true faith, first of all, is from the heart. It's from the heart. This isn't just from the flesh. It's not just going through the physical acts, uh, the physical motions. We worship the Lord from the heart. You remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you remember that uh, conversation that Jesus was having there with the woman at the well, she was kind of boasting about, oh yeah, well our fathers used to worship here in the mountain. Kind of like banking on her pedigree, banking on uh, a physical location. And Jesus said, look, no, God is a spirit. If you're going to worship him, it's not done by the flesh. It's done in spirit and in truth. See, there's a lot of people who worship whose worship of God is all outward. You go to other countries and, and really, I mean, you know, they, they kneel and bow down. And I encourage all of us to do that this, this morning in our worship time. But, but listen, this is what they're banking on. They say, well, I, I kneel and bow down and pray three times a day. I do all of these things, all my works, and, and that's my worship. They, they think their worship must be in a special location. No, true worship must come from the heart. And that's, what, that's why he said in verse number three, uh, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. We're not worshiping him in the flesh. We're not worshiping because we do certain things. It's, it's a spiritual relationship now. But not only is our, our true faith um, is from the heart, it's also toward Christ. In uh, verse 3 again, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. We're not rejoicing in what we've done. We're not rejoicing in in our acts and our our good works. No, we're rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Our boasting and rejoicing needs to be in Christ alone. And as the songwriter wrote, For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb, because Jesus... Paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and and it was him that washed it white as snow. Friend, it's nothing good that I have done that have allowed me to have a relationship with God. I'm not going to boast in me. Remember what Paul said to the Ephesians? Not by works, lest any man should boast. That's why salvation is by grace through faith alone. Paul said to the Galatians, he said, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to glory, glory in what he did for you. And so that's what true faith is. It's um, a realization that it's always about Christ. And it's, it's not something that we do. It's, it's from the heart. But then it's, we see here, the last thought here, 
is it's a trusting faith. Not only is it a true faith, it's also a trusting faith in verse number three. Again, at the end of it, it says, and have no confidence in the flesh. The arm of flesh will fail us. And so we don't put any confidence in the flesh, and it's not anything that I could do to earn my way to heaven, to a relationship with God. It's nothing that I can do. Jesus said it this way in John 6, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet. Yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with only a three-foot wall. And the animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. I think about us as Christians. If you're putting your faith in what you can see, I'm telling you, it's not the right type of faith. But when you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that's the right kind of faith. Let me wrap this up this morning. I, I, wanted to be a, I wanted to have this to be a positive message this morning. I wanted to preach something like how to have your best life now. I wanted to do something like that. Uh, like my good friend, Joel Osteen. <clears throat> but the fact is, God has called me to preach the word. To preach the whole counsel of God. The things that we want to hear, the things that we don't want to hear. Things that are fun to preach, the things that are not as fun to preach. He's called me to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, which by the way, are both kind of a negative thing. And then to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I can relate to Jude when he said to his readers, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he said, I wanted to, I wanted to write about the, the, the wonderful benefits and the blessings of being saved. But then he said, unfortunately, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This message is a message that is not something that I would like to say, but it's something that I needed to say. Now, I don't know of any issues in our church right now, but I just want us to beware of those who would indeed try to come in and cause division and and uh, draw people away with their uh, false doctrine. So I want to encourage all of us this morning to be aware. And then as believers, let's express a true faith and a trusting faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, can I encourage you today to come to Jesus and be born again? Stop trusting yourself and your good works and your church membership and and the, the good guy and the ethical guy that you are. Stop trusting in all of that and start trusting only in the finished work of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and the third day he rose again. Believing the gospel, it's simple. Let's make sure that we keep it crystal clear. We keep it accurate. And we keep it before our people.
And as a mom and a dad, I want to encourage you to make the gospel a very prevalent part of your communication with your children. You can teach them how to be a good citizen. You can teach them how to make money. But a friend, if they miss heaven and you failed to impart the gospel to them because you just didn't have time, you've missed the most important thing about parenting. I want to encourage us as a church to make sure that the gospel stays as the center of who we are and the center of what we do here at Cornerstone. And let's go ahead and have a word of prayer today. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage. Lord, it's kind of a different passage than what we've been going through in this book. A different tone for sure. But Lord, a needed one. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be on guard, to take seriously this caution that uh, your word has given here. Lord, there is a devil that's after us, and unfortunately there are deceivers. There are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing that come into churches like ours. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be on guard. Help us to be good students of your word, to know the truth, and to stand for that truth, and to stay faithful to that truth. Help us to be careful with the influences we allow in our lives. Help us to make sure that we're listening to things and reading things that are in line with your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to express a true faith uh, in our lives. Help us, Lord, to uh, worship you from the heart. Help us, Lord, to thank you and to appreciate who you are and what you have done for us on the cross of Calvary.